You know, Pastor Joe shared a powerful message two weeks ago about sonship versus orphanhood. And it was powerful. And if you weren't here, I think you can still go back on Facebook and, and listen to the message. But as he began the message, he talked about, he said, I'm going to share 20 values of sonship. And I literally, I may sit on the front row, but I can hear you. And I literally heard chuckles throughout the, the place. Oh, 20, yeah, sure, 20 points to the message. And, and I kind of chuckled myself, and then he shared 20 points to his message, right? But don't worry, he's good. I mean, he, he, he kept it moving, he kept it going. But, but as, as we were laughing for a moment, we started then moving into listening, and it was awesome. And we began to understand that we are all sons and daughters of the king, but we need to be able to walk in that sonship. We need to walk in that, that, that childhood of God. And it was awesome. So with that in mind, on the occasion of my 50th birthday, here are 50 things I've learned in 50 years. If you need to put your seatbelt on, you just go ahead. Are you ready? God is good. That's number one. How many of you know God is good all the time? But I've also learned the devil is bad all the time. There's never a chance. There's never been a time when the devil has been good. You can't have yin and yang because, because that yang is always going to be bad. Come on, somebody. The devil is bad, but God is good. And I'm here to proclaim that I've learned that God is bigger. Amen. He's bigger. Number three, life is hard. Wait, who came up with that slogan, life is good? I don't know who came up with that. It must have been a four-year-old, all right? But I'm telling you, when you've lived a little, how many of you know life can be hard? But God is good. <laughs> Number four, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When I get over myself. Mm -hmm. Number five, being drunk in the spirit is better than anything the world has to offer. I think people say, oh, you know, it's okay for Christians. To I don't need it. I got the new wine of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Number six, the word of God is a lamp to my feet and it is always, always lights my path. The gifts of the Spirit are amazing gifts from heaven. You can just say amen if this one's good for you. Number eight, speaking in tongues has so many benefits for my life beyond initial physical evidence. So many benefits. I tell you, if I've got to, if, if I've said this before, but let me say it again. If you're going through a bad day, just start shondying. I mean, start speaking in the heavenly language that God has given you, and your bad day will turn better. Hmm. May not change your circumstance, but it'll change you. Number nine, Jesus is truly my best friend and has been there when no one else was. He's been my best friend. Number 10, I look around at life and I look around at people and I think there but for the grace of God go I. It's only by the grace of God. Amen? Now here's number 11. Joni is my most favorite person on the planet. Amen. I've learned that over the years. It took me a while. I'm 50, but I took me. But I learned it. <laughs> 
Number 12, Jesus created her for me and me for her. Number 13, because of Joni, I understand Jesus and his bride so much better. Number 14, all the single people in the room, can you just listen to me for a second? Marriage rocks. Come on, somebody. I didn't say it was rocky. I said it rocks, all right? Number 15, marriage takes work, but it's worth it. Number 16, to go fast, go alone. To go far, go together. I learned this one recently, but yet I realized I've learned it all my life. One draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. Did you know that? One draft horse. But two draft horses who have worked together before can pull 32,000 pounds. Four times as much. That's why God gave me you, baby. We can do so much more together than apart. Number 18, I would not be half the man I am today if Joni wasn't by my side. Number 19, children are a heritage from the Lord. (laughs) Some of you aren't sure. (laughs) Some of you need to just declare that over your house right now. God, I just, I call those things that are not as though they are. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Amen. They are a blessing. Number 20, children are a lot of work. Whoo! Here they come. But they are worth it. Can I tell you, my children were God's children first. He was their father before I was their father, and he will forever be. And my children will go further than I if I will point them to Jesus. Let me, let me talk about what God has taught me through my children. First of all, Joseph shows me the unconditional love of God. Jonathan shows me the knowledge of God. Nicholas shows me the mission of God. Emily shows me unwavering faith in God. That girl has known what she is supposed to do since she was a little child. Nathan shows me perseverance in God. By the way, did you know Nathan's birthday was yesterday? Yeah, one of my best birthday gifts. Nathaniel shows me the grace of God, how grace can pull you out of situations you never thought you'd get out of. Anna shows me (laughs) the patience of God. Armando, he shows me the joy of the Lord. And Sophia shows me the lion of the tribe of Judah. I learned that on December 18th, 1992, my first and primary calling became and will forever be my family. Everything else is secondary. Now, 33, if you wonder where we were at. Ministry can be an adventure when you let the Spirit lead you. Ministry teaches you that you can do more than you thought you could do. (laughs) Anybody learn that? God will stretch you when you allow Him to use you. Hallelujah. Outside of your gifting, can I just tell you there is grace? I mean, God gives you grace even for things you're not gifted in. But inside of your gifting, there is fire. You better light it up and get it going in Jesus' name. 
Number 37, Bluebell is the best ice cream in the country. Maybe the entire world. I've only done 12 nations so far, so maybe there's a few more. Oh, my goodness. You don't have to agree with me, but this is what I found to be true. Don't talk to me about Blue Bunny. By the way, Blue Bunny is not Blue Bell. Come on, somebody. (laughs) To be in the presence of Jesus and worship with people who worship is my favorite part of the service. When people of God, and we, this, we experience this today, when people of God are in the presence of God, the power of God is released and things happen. I, I believe, even though I haven't heard yet, I know some things were going on when God was moving a few minutes ago. Now, the final ten. That's the things I've learned. Not everything, but a few. I've learned that God loves every nation. I love traveling the world and meeting people from different tribes and languages and culture. I've learned that Tex-Mex and Italian food must have been what the Israelites called manna. Some of these are my opinions. I understand that, Chuck, but I'm telling you, you got to get the real stuff. Don't, 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 don't depend on those restaurants. All right. My attitude changes atmospheres. Have you learned that? Boy, that one took me a long time to understand. I thought it was everybody else's attitudes. And then I realized it was my attitude that changes the atmosphere. Number 44, prayer is the strategy. 45, being filled with the Spirit was never meant to be an option. Let me say that again. It's what I've learned. Being filled with the Spirit was never meant to be an option. Ah, this is one of the things you can choose. There is another worldwide revival that will be released on the earth, I believe. And I'm seeing it in places that I never had thought of before. Number 47, Jesus is coming sooner than we think. Say that again. Jesus is coming sooner than we think. God isn't always interested in my comfort. Oh, man. It's true. He's not always interested in my comfort, but he is vehemently for my good. Now, when you know the difference between that, wow. Number 49, I like big words. And number 50. (laughs) Well, my wife told me enough. Um, Number 50, God is good. All the time. That's what I've learned. Just a few of the things I've learned in 50 years. But I want to I wanna go back to number 44. That prayer not only brings the strategy, but prayer is the strategy. Prayer is the strategy. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a thing that was used by many of the believers at that time. It was called an altar, A-L-T-A-R. It was an altar. The first person to use an altar, do you know who it was? It was Noah. After he came out of the ark, and after he had gone through that horrific time on the seas with his family, being tossed to and fro, but yet recognizing and knowing that God had saved him, 
The Bible says in Genesis chapter 8 that Noah came out of the ark and built an altar and sacrificed some of all of the clean animals there. Do you know that what that tells us about God? God provided the sacrifice for the altar before Noah even knew what an altar was. He told him, bring two by two. Remember that? But then he said, bring this number, what was it, seven times of the clean animals. Because he knew that there would be sacrifices that would be made. He knew that Noah was going to be grateful for what he had done in his life and saving his entire family. But I'm going to tell you something. When Noah built that altar, he wasn't looking for a strategy. The Lord had already given him a strategy a hundred years before. What was that strategy? Noah, build a big boat. So we start to teach our kids in those early Bible books, you know. Noah built a big boat. It was a big boat. That was the strategy. So what was Noah doing at that altar? Noah was giving some of what God had given him to survive as worship to the Lord. Think about it. Even in his sacrifice, it was a real sacrifice. Because as the animals began to disperse throughout the land, that was it. It was Noah, his family, and that were all, those were all the animals on the earth. All the ones that fit in that boat. Maybe the size of a football field, but that's not very many animals when you're talking about the entire earth. And so Noah let go what God had put in his care. And then he sacrificed on top of that what he could have consumed for himself. And he said, God, here it is. In thanksgiving, in praise, I'm giving you this. He wasn't looking for a strategy, but prayer, the altar, became the strategy. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son on the altar of obedience. Solomon gave thousands upon thousands of sacrifices. At one number, the Bible says 120,000 kinds of sacrifices that Solomon gave to the Lord on the day of the dedication of the temple. In every one of these cases, and if I were to continue to go down, but since I read a list of 50 things, I'm not going to continue to go down. Somebody say hallelujah to that, amen? But in every case, if you look in the Scripture at every time that there was an altar, there was a sacrifice, there was a thanksgiving, there was a praise, even going into the New Testament, when the, when the New Testament church joined after Peter had been persecuted and they came back together, and as they began to worship God and pray, the Lord answered by shaking the house. In every instance that the people of God unified to seek God, God answered. I need you to hear that. In every case, look at your neighbor and say, in every case. In every case, God spoke. As I said, I heard stories from all over the world. I was one of two natural-born citizens of the United States of America in that group. And the other one lives in Israel as a missionary. When I heard stories from 
Abrajan, when I heard stories from Armenia, when I heard stories from Georgia, I heard continual stories from Saudi Arabia, and I heard stories from Russia. I continually heard believers stand up and declare the persecution that they or their family members or their church has been through, how churches were burned to the ground, how that believers were beaten and thrown in prison. And yet, even in that, there was a smile on each of their faces as they told of the deliverance of God, as they told how God answered them when they sought Him, as they told of how God saved them when they were far from Him. And they told of the joy of the Lord. And i got to be honest, I thought, what do I have to offer these people? Why am I one of the keynote speakers? <laughs> They're teaching me, why do I need to be here? And then I realized two things. Number one, I needed to be here to receive from them. That was the first thing. And number two, I do have something to offer. Though I may not have been through many of those things and even understand what they've been through, I do know the Word of God. And I recognize the faithfulness of God in my own life in the hand of God through everything in my life. And I recognize that God has given us each a message to share. I don't care if you have a microphone or not. Look at your neighbor and say, God's given you a message to share. Did you know that? You have a unique thumbprint of God on your heart. And he's given you even things like when I talk about this stuff, there are a few of you in this room that are like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. I think we should do that. But man, this is what my heart burns for. Are you being rebellious right now? No. That's God's imprint on you. Going, don't look down on somebody else's passion. Just recognize that that's the fire within you. Recognize that's the fire within you. And God is speaking to you, and you've got a message to speak to the body of Christ and to the world. Amen? In every case, God answered and God spoke. I believe that prayer is a two-way communication device between God and his people. I didn't put that on a quote, so let me say it again. I believe that prayer is a two-way communication device between God and his people. Two ways. I called Joni yesterday. She was out doing some errands, and she answered on her watch. How did I know that? Because she told me. She said, can you hear me? <laughs> I'm on my watch. She's yelling into her watch, not really. But as she's speaking into her watch... Man, I could hear her clear as a bell on my phone. No problem. Why could I hear her? Now, some of you in this room, like the watch I'm wearing, if you were to speak into your watch, guess what you'd get? Tick, 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 tick. Well, not even this one. I don't even think it ticks. You get nothing. Why? Because it's not a cute two-way communication device. And some of us look at prayer like our watches. And we look at it and we go, well, yep, the time is ticking away. <laughs> Lord, how much more time do I have to spend in your presence? No, none of us would ever say that. Lord, I've got so much to do today. Oh, Lord, I've got to be here and be there and be at this. I'm, I'm, I'm important to this person and that person, and I've got to be this place and that place, God. So can we get, can we get this over with? And we look at prayer as if we're looking at a watch that's just ticking by. Do you know that's how Abraham, or excuse me, Benjamin, sorry, Benjamin Franklin viewed God? 
He may be one of my ancestors, but I don't espouse to his beliefs in God. Benjamin Franklin, along with many of our founders or some of our founders, looked at God as the watchmaker of the universe. That God set the watch, set it in motion, and steps back and just sees what happens. <laughs> Sorry, Benji, that's not my God. That's not my God. Come on, somebody. My God is a personal God. My God is an intimate God. My God is my Father, and a father doesn't leave his children alone to do whatever and run in the street. My Father gets involved in what's happening. My Father sent his only Son into the world. My Father is involved with my life, and therefore, if my Father is involved, then my Father wants a two-way communication happening on a regular basis. That means us lifting up our prayers and then listening to what he would speak. When we go to prayer, let's begin to hear God speak. When Noah sought the Lord at the altar in Genesis chapter 20, or excuse me, chapter 8, verses 21, it says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from Childhood. Think about what God is saying here. He's saying this to Noah and his children. He's saying, even you guys, though you made it and you were righteous and I chose you, I know what's going to happen in humanity. People say, oh, children are so innocent and cute. You've obviously never had children, right? I mean, they are innocent and cute, right? Up to a certain point. Who teaches children to lie? Does that not blow any other parent away? Did I sit down at the dinner table and say, children, this is how you deceive people. When you go into the store, this is how you steal something. What? Did any of you teach your children that? Don't raise your hand. Did any of you, I mean, come on, honestly. Did we teach our children to sin? <laughs> no. It's from the very inclination of our heart, even from childhood. That's why those babies are so cute. They just don't know yet. How many of you know babies grow up? Hallelujah. Then he says this, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. We love that scripture. Preachers preach on that verse. They, they love that verse, especially when it comes to offering time. They love that verse. But did you know it was connected with Noah's promise from God? The Lord, when Noah prayed, proclaimed his promise. And when we pray, God proclaims his promises. I want you to just look up to heaven for a second and say, Lord, I'm listening for your promises. I'm listening for your promises. He proclaims his promises. When we hear from the Lord, listen, one of the ways you know it's God and not you or the devil is because the promise of the word of God is coming out. When the promise of the word of God is coming out, you know God is speaking. Now, when Abraham sought the Lord at the altar, this is how God answered in Genesis twenty-two twelve. 12. As, as Abraham was raising his knife 
over Isaac to sacrifice his son in obedience to God, even recognizing that God could raise Isaac from the dead, knowing that God did not ultimately have the death of Isaac in his heart, but yet he couldn't fully understand it. As he raised the knife, God spoke and said, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. How many of you know if I was Isaac, I would have carried that through my entire life? Dad, before you decide to spank me, remember what God said. Do not do anything to him. (laughs) God spoke. And then he continued to speak. In Genesis twenty two fifteen. the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You know what that tells me? When we pray, he proclaims his blessings. Can I tell you one of the ways we know that God is not speaking to us? When he's cursing us. When he's speaking. As a child of God, as a son and a daughter of God, if you're hearing cursing coming from God, it's not God. When God speaks, he's blessing. Oh, I'm not saying he won't correct but how many of you know correction and cursing are two different things? This is something we've had to learn in our marriage, in our family, and with our kids. There are times I think I'm correcting, but I'm really cursing. You're never going to grow up to be any. I don't think I've ever said that, but I know I've heard it. And there's been times I've wanted to say it. You're never going to go beyond to curse. Correction says, listen. This is not God's best for you. This is not what God has designed for you. So let's come up there. Amen? It's a difference. It's a huge difference. And we need to recognize that when when we pray, he'll proclaim his blessings. Lastly, when Solomon sought the Lord in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3, one of the greatest answers to prayer. I want to spend just a couple minutes here. It says, when Solomon finished praying in 2 Chronicles 7, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because of the Lord, because of the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. Can I tell you, I believe that out of 2 Chronicles 7, that when, when the church of Jesus Christ will come together in prayer, when we begin to seek God, I believe that he will answer with his glory. He will answer with his fire. He will answer with his power. His love endures forever. And God will answer us. Look at somebody and say, God's going to answer you. He is. It's his word. It's his promise. A few verses later, God appears to Solomon in the night and spoke incredible blessing, 
favor and his promises as well as specific warnings. Many of you know it. I just want to read a portion of it because there's so much there. But in 2 Chronicles 7, I would encourage you to go back and read all of those things. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he says, If my people, come on somebody, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. That's God's promise. You say, so pastor, we need to all get on a plane. We need to fly over to Israel. We need to go to the Temple Mound. Unfortunately, none of us can go in because there's a great big mosque there that one day is going to come down in a blaze of fire, I believe by a lightning bolt from God or nuclear blast, whatever happens and whatever needs to happen, God can use it. Some of you just got real quiet because another temple will be built. But we could go to the site today and we could go to the Wailing Wall and we could all just come together. Is that what we're going to do? That'd be fun. I'd like to do it. I never wanted to go to Israel until the last three or four years. I thought, I'll wait till the millennium to go to Israel, see the new temple. But I really believe God has put it in my heart to go at some point in my life now. So I'd love to take you with me, but that's not my point. My point is, according to Scripture, according to the New Testament, the temple is no more on earth in a building with stones or gold. How many of you know, what is the temple? I want you to lift your hand right now, and I want you to say this. Say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That same promise that God gave to Solomon is mine. Do you hear that? Now, with that in mind, I want to read this to you again. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. With the idea that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it change that verse for you? When I pray, when we join together in prayer, He's hearing us, He's seeing us, and He will answer us. He will answer us. I do believe that prayer brings direction and strategy and so much more. But we must understand that prayer is the strategy. Prayer is the strategy. When we seek him, he promises to answer. In a few minutes... Somebody's going to go get the kids, and we're going to bring them in here, and we're going to lay hands on our kids, and we're going to lay hands on teachers, and we're going to lay hands on parents, and we're going to pray, and I believe that God's going to hear. <laughs> Did I say it too quiet? I said, I believe God's going to hear us, and he's going to answer us. 
And he's going to touch these kids. He's going to touch these parents. He's going to touch these teachers. For you see, when we seek him, he promises to answer. You say, Pastor, do you have New Testament proof of that? Of course I do. Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Can I tell you, with this in mind, we need to be careful what we pray for. One of the stories I heard was of a nation that's a closed nation with closed countries or closed churches. And how many of you know really there's no closed nation? We talk about closed countries just to describe that. But how many of you know they can't keep the Holy Spirit out? And so God just loves to do cool things in those places. And I remember hearing one story about this one nation. And, and there were three people in the government that made a decision. Just This is just within the last couple of years. That made a decision that we're not going to allow Christian churches any longer to operate above ground. We're not going to allow them to worship. We're tired of their worship. We're going to begin to put them in prison wherever we can find them. And that's exactly what happened. These three powerful men in this nation began to decree this and declare this, and it began to happen. Churches had to shut down their worship services. They had to begin to go into hiding and meet in small groups in homes. They, they, they met like one church uh, pastor I talked to, how they met in an, in, an, in an apartment building at the very, very top so that, that as their prayers went up, people above them wouldn't hear. There was nobody above them. And, and literally, they had to shut everything down, and they came together, and they began to pray. And one of the things that one of the prophets began to prophesy and began to declare to the church is we need to begin to pray for these three individuals. They found out it was just three out of this government structure. They said, we need to begin to pray that God will either rescue them or God will shut them up. As the church heard this prophecy come through the churches, they began to pray in their small groups. Within something like seven to ten days, the first um, individual had a heart attack and died on the floor in the government offices. The second person went and got into a car accident and died. And the third person (laughs) became mute and could talk no longer. Guess what happened? They were all removed, obviously, out of office. New people came in, and they said, what is this law, what is this thing that we have decreed and declared? The Christians are blessing this nation. Let's let them meet again. Can I tell you, they did not go, and and, please understand our American mindset sometimes. They did not go and they did not march on their government building. They did not hold signs, down with the government, down with the government. They did not go on television and begin to talk against the government. They did not get on social media and say, can you believe how horrible these people are? What did they do? I told you what they did. What did they do, church? They prayed. They came together in prayer. The strategy came through a prophet. They began to agree together as a church. And when the agreement came, lives were changed. I heard of another story. Like I said, I won't share all. Sam Hoffman is a German-born missionary who spent the majority of his life in India. 
in his mission life, and now he's in Athens, Greece. And he is a prayer strategist. He goes in and to different nations and prays. He's with YWAM. And he said that there was this one nation where they were at, and, and he began to work with the churches because that's what they would begin to do. They began to go to different pastors and different people, and they would say, we need to come together. We need to come together and pray because we believe that this is about to happen. And these pastors said, no, 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 I'm too busy. Churches said, no, we've got our own agendas. We don't have time for this strategy. We believe it's from God, but you'll have to find somebody else. And he said it was one of the most difficult things. To, he said it is the most difficult thing to get churches to come together in prayer. He said, but this time, he said it was beyond difficult. He could not get anyone to agree together. And he said a great persecution broke out on the church within the next few weeks. And they knew it was because the people of God didn't come together. He said there's no other reason. He said, then you know what happened. The churches came together in prayer. And then it ceased. I could tell you story after story after story. There are some in this room that could tell you story after story after story. But what it really boils down to is this. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to join together in prayer. It's time for us to lift our voices together in unity. One of the things we're instituting here at New Day Church is in our early Tuesday morning prayer time. We do uh, go live on Facebook, and I appreciate many of you have joined. But I know that there's sometimes some quiet time, which is fine. But I've instructed uh, the leaders, and I've instructed that we're going to begin to post somehow, some way, prayer points throughout that time. As the Holy Spirit gives things, we're going to begin to pray for Highway 19. We're going to pray for different nations, different people groups, different people in here, our government officials. We're going to pray for different things throughout that prayer time, including the needs that are being posted up there. We've been praying for several people with cancer lately. It's been awesome. And I believe that God will hear and God will answer when we come together. Jesus said, whatever, say whatever. Whatever you bind, it'll be bound. I want to leave you with this verse as they bring the kids in. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants, the prophets. Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his, land, his plans to his servants, the prophets. That simply speaks to me that God is speaking. Are we listening? And as we listen, he will give us plans. Can I bring this down to you? Go ahead. Come on, kids. Mama, Papa, in the room, you don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know what the next step is in your life and in your family. Bring it to the Lord. Join together in prayer. Before any foster child that we would bring into our home, we would come together as a family as best we could, and we would agree together and we would pray together as a family. Can I tell you, these kids that are walking in right now, they are powerhouses for the Lord Almighty. And their prayers are, in many ways, so innocent and so precious. And God will move through them. So adults, don't just be the only ones praying. Encourage your kids to pray. Encourage your kids to join in with them. Amen? Now, all right, come on, kids.
It's your turn. I want all the children in the room to come on up here.